uh, I'm starting the event in like three, two, one. Good evening and uh, welcome to our uh, chat series, virtual fireside chat series, quote unquote. This is our first uh, of the series that we are kicking off and we are keen to have Mark Mobius, who is a guru in the investment field. He needs no introduction. A very regular person on our business uh, news channels, and he keeps talking about uh, various aspects of investment and uh, in the emerging markets as well as India. A quick introduction about Mark. Uh, Mark has seen many uh, has been seen by many founders of the emerging market asset class. He has a reputation as one of the most successful and influential managers over the last three years, uh, 30 years. In May 2018, with the two ex-colleagues, he launched Mark Mobius, Mobius Capital Partners. He also has his own website, markmobius.com, which he evangelizes a lot of thoughts and provides a lot of thought leadership there. The firm, uh, his firm utilizes a highly specialized active investment approach with an emphasis on improving governance standards in emerging and frontier market companies. Uh, as you know, prior to starting off with uh, Mobius Capital Partners, Mark was, uh, was part of uh, Franklin Templeton uh, Investments for more than 30 years as the executive chairman of uh, Templeton Emerging Markets. And during his uh, tenure, uh, he grew uh, the asset under management uh, multifold from $100 million to over $400 billion and launched a number of uh, emerging markets and frontier funds focusing on Asia, Latin America, Africa, and Eastern Europe, the emerging market, um, uh, as we say. And in his career, he has influenced and earned numerous awards and accolades. Mark is a PhD from MIT and has studied at Boston University, University of Wisconsin, Cyclos University, Coyote University, and University of New Mexico. Mark has been a member of advisory board of International Finance Corporation and has served several uh, advisory boards on uh, on uh, on different uh, markets and uh, has also been on the board of uh, Luke Oil, the Russian oil company. Uh, Mark is a prolific writer and has written several books uh, which he has authored and translated in in several languages. Personally, I have I have read a couple of his books which has inspired me as well. Uh, Mark uh, again has been on, on our TV channels and he has received several awards, including Lifetime Achievement Award as Asset Manager asset, in Asset Management in 2017 by the Global Investment Magazine, Top 50 Influential People by the Bloomberg Markets Magazine, um, Africa Invest, Investor Index Series Award in 2020. 2010 by the African investor, and I can go on and on. Without uh, further ado, I would love to get Mark's view on uh, how is the emerging market performing 
and where does he see india and how does he see india moving forward and uh, and there is a lot of questions and and uh, in the minds of uh, the audience today which we would love to kind of then you know exchange and talk about over to you mark uh, thank you very much uh, for that very nice introduction i appreciate it very much um and it's great to be talking to uh, indian investors all over india uh, my personal view is that uh, we are now in the middle of an incredible opportunity uh, because this covid-19 uh, crisis has been blown out of all proportion uh, because of the internet because of the uh, way governments have reacted around the world um, the the degree of concern has accelerated and become uh, very very intense and and much more than actually it deserves so uh, the reaction of the market as you know uh, was very sudden within a few months uh, most markets had gone down by 20 30 40 50% uh, there has been a pullback uh, because people are beginning to realize that maybe it's not as bad as they thought but we still are in uh, bargain market territory and for that reason uh, we have been buying stocks in mind with the uh, the opportunity that we see and india of course figures very highly in uh, our buying uh, spree because india is a huge market like china china's right up there as well and uh, we believe that uh, india has the opportunity to really pull back uh, quite rapidly for a number of reasons one uh, we believe that uh, this crisis could give uh, modi and other leaders in india the opportunity to institute uh, long awaited reforms in other words to accelerate the reforms they've already started but uh, really move into uh, good reform territory and that of course means that uh, they will be able to draw in more investment not only foreign investment but domestic investment with these reforms the other reason why i'm optimistic is because as you know the relations trade relations between the us and china have not been good of course uh, trade between the two countries will continue but uh, more and more buyers of chinese goods are thinking of diversifying their uh, base of operations and uh, diversifying their uh, sources of raw materials and parts and that's why uh, india stands a good chance in picking up some of that business provided of course that the conditions are uh, suitable and uh, provided that the government institutes reforms particularly as regards to labor regulation and in a number of other areas which uh, foreign investors find very very difficult uh, to operate within uh, but you already seen companies like apple stating their intention to move a substantial amount of their manufacturing into india now as you know india already is a big source of outsourcing of software outsourcing and outsourcing services using telecommunications and uh, contacting people all over the world so that is uh, been a great success for india now india has the opportunity to move into 
manufacturing outsourcing. In other words, uh, doing the same thing they've been doing with software uh, and services and doing the same thing for hardware, whether it be uh, smartphones or telecoms equipment, robotics, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things uh, can be manufactured in India. And of course, India has the advantage, like China, of a very large workforce and uh, relatively low costs labor. So I'm uh, quite optimistic about India, and that's the reason why it's a very important part of our portfolio. Excellent. Take any questions you may have. Thank you. Yes, there are a whole host of uh, questions uh, in the mind of the people. Uh, you know, the first uh, uh, question that people are really thinking is, how is India going to recover from the current situation with respect to other in, uh, emerging market countries? Uh, and uh, what are your learnings from some of the other emerging market countries which uh, India could do learn from and uh, do well or better? Uh, well, India is going to be able to learn a lot from what's happening in various countries around the world. And uh, the reaction uh, of many countries has been, I would say, excessive. Uh, in other words, the lockdowns that many countries pursued, uh, particularly in emerging markets, have been very harmful to their economies. And uh, uh, they really did not uh, do the proper triage, shall we say. In other words, looking at uh, what were the costs and benefits of various alternatives. So, for example, in South Africa, there was a very strict intense lockdown uh, and in a country which already had 30 percent unemployment uh, before the crisis and now probably has 50 or 60 percent unemployment that reaction by the government i would say was not a optimal one in other words they could have used other methods and now we're seeing in various parts of the world different methods are being used to prevent the spread of the disease while at the same time allowing people to work. For example, uh, distributing masks to people so that their mouths and noses are covered, uh, like keeping distance, in other words, one or two meters between people to ensure that uh, the spread uh, does not accelerate. Uh, things like that, which uh, have been instituted by some countries like Sweden uh, to a great deal of success. And I believe that India now has the opportunity to learn from these different uh, uh, methods to prevent uh, COVID-19 from spreading while at the same time putting people back to work. Excellent. Mark, uh, uh, what recommendation do you have for the industry stalwarts who are attending here? What should they be doing? Uh, it's a reset. Now, many of the companies uh, which you may have betted are maybe on a two month or a three month cash flow. So today, every every script or every uh, listed company is just like a startup. How do you suggest uh, they need to manage the situation and what are the companies in other emerging markets really doing to outperform uh, in this whole reset process? Uh, well, you've got to separate the kind of company and the condition of each company, of course. Uh, but if you take a very simple comparison, uh, companies that have 
uh, lots of debt, relatively weak balance sheets. <clears throat> in those cases, it's very important for them to strengthen their balance sheets very quickly, either by selling assets, by reducing uh, the labor force, by cutting costs dramatically, by taking any measure possible to ensure that the balance sheet enables them to function for a year without having any business. So that's one category. The other category of company is the company with excellent balance sheet. In other words, no debt, lots of cash. Uh, these companies should be looking for acquisitions so that when this crisis is over, they will have a larger market share and will have a stronger position in the economy. So it depends on which company you're talking about, but in both cases, there are opportunities. And what sectors would you bet uh, would, would emerge out uh, faster? And uh, what are the laggards uh, that you are kind of uh, currently on your watch list, uh, both in India and the, in the emerging markets? And how do you think they would perform in the next uh, one year of the bounce back? Well, the uh, best companies and the companies with the greatest future are those who have adopted the latest technology. Uh, by that, I mean uh, ensuring that they have an internet strategy, a strategy, a digitalization strategy, regardless of what business they're in. Uh, so, for example, if they're in the retail business and they don't have an online uh, selling organization, then they've got to get busy and start building that online capability. If they're manufacturing, they've got to think more about uh, computerization, automation, robotics. Uh, these are all technologies which uh, are very important and can be acquired through the use of the internet. Uh, nowadays, the world is open to everybody. You can get information about every subject in the world and uh, companies should be using these technologies and this knowledge to improve their businesses. So you are going to be betting on technology. Yes, but uh, uh, please remember, I, I'm not saying that it should be solely companies that are involved only in technology. What I'm saying is that uh, companies that are uh, sort of old school, uh, companies that uh, have traditional businesses, uh, they're the ones that have got to get busy and develop an internet strategy. So, for example, if you take uh, Walmart in the U.S., as you know, they were running into a lot of competition from Amazon. What they did is they embarked on an online strategy, and now their online business is growing very, very fast, and they're giving Amazon a run for their money in terms of uh, selling and delivering goods all over the world, matter of fact. So both uh, digitization and globalization leveraging on technology would be the way forward. Exactly. Got it. Got it. Mark, uh, our Modi government, uh, there has been a lot of uh, uh, negative news or negative uh, uh, sentiment that is going on, you know, with the last package of uh, of uh, 20 lakh crores that the government announced uh, over the last week. Uh, how large is this package? Is it sufficient enough? 
And what is the trickle down benefit that the industry participants are getting in terms of uh, leverage has been a, a, a bone contention. Most of the industry participants believe that uh, this was not enough. And at this point in time, given the current uh, mess of the banking sector and the way the government wants to guarantee the future loans, how do you think the sector can actually benefit even with uh, you know, financing overseas? And do you think overseas investors would be keen to participate at this juncture in funding uh, the Indian corporates uh, as they are kind of uh, going out of the, 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 the downturn and, and revival process? Well, there's some companies that will be very worthwhile to uh, for uh, financiers and other parts of the world to come in and, and finance uh, simply because their businesses are growing, their cash flow is growing. Uh, and uh, there are some companies that could deserve this kind of uh, input, that kind of investment. Uh, but I think we've got to be very, very careful because uh, many of the companies that are surviving now were barely surviving before the COVID crisis. And these are the kinds of companies that should not be allowed to continue. In other words, a bailout of these companies by the government is not a very good idea. What you should be doing is bailing out and supporting those companies that have strong cash flow positions and have a great opportunity to grow uh, going forward. Uh, I know this is a, maybe a difficult uh, paradigm, but I think it's one that will be very, very useful and will drive the economy in India forward. Because at the end of the day, you want to fund companies that are productive and that are efficient. You don't want to fund companies that are not productive and inefficient. Uh, that's no good for the economy. Uh, there are a whole host of questions that are coming from the audience as we are speaking. Uh, I want to pick up a few questions, but uh, one question that I wanted to ask is, you know, India lost an opportunity during and post uh, the last financial crisis when its currency depreciated by by over 50% in the last decade. And over a, over a time when India was more insulated from a crisis like uh, the 2008 global financial crisis, in the same time, countries like China pegged their currency to the dollar and grew uh, businesses and their economy manifold. What would uh, India's currency and interest policy be this time around? Should India really change its uh, its policy around pegging its currency to the dollar or what should uh, India do? Well, I think it's very important that uh, India not um, fix the exchange rate. In other words, you should have a freely floating exchange rate. Otherwise, you have the danger of having another crisis like we had during the Asian financial crisis. If you remember, countries were trying to defend their currencies, and as a result, they ran out of foreign exchange, and then the, the whole thing blew up and it became a big crisis. So very important that India not uh, try to support uh, the rupee uh, exchange rate. Now, in terms of uh, pegging to the dollar, uh, Hong Kong, as you know, does that. But in order to do that, you have to uh, follow every other aspect of the policy in America. 
as regards to interest rates, and you've got to build up foreign reserves so you can uh, defend that peg. So I, I think it's very unlikely that India would do that. Uh, but the main thing is to allow the currency to freely move and find its natural level. Uh, a weak uh, currency is not a bad thing because it encourages exports, it discourages imports, and it attracts people who want to export. Right. Uh, there is a question from an audience here, uh, and uh, it's about gold, because when uh, economies and uh, and the global economy goes uh, downturn, uh, so the gold is today at about uh, 1765 or thereabouts. It has already moved quite much and so much money is being printed globally and equity markets are, con uh, are contracting. Is it poised to go towards uh, upwards or if the global situation normalizes, uh, how would the gold prices uh, react to such uh, situations post COVID? Well, as you know, um, I recommended last year to for people to get gold, have at least 10% of their portfolio in gold. Of course, India, I think the Indians have probably more than that in their, their savings. Unaccounted uh, ones. Uh, and I think over the longer term, yes, the gold prices will increase simply because the amount of uh, currency in circulation is increasing at a rapid rate. So. Uh, Basically, you're having a debasement of currencies, and whenever you have a debasement of currencies, gold is strong, it tends to be strong. Point taken. How would you uh, compare investment decisions post-COVID impacting India versus uh, other emerging economies? I think uh, post-COVID, India will do very well. I think you're going to see a, a very rapid recovery in India um, for a number of reasons. One, um, the, the advantage that India has in some ways that's somewhat different from other countries is that you do have a, a state system. In other words, each state is uh, different and have different policies. And that makes for a more varied reaction to COVID. So you're going to have some states that are making the right decisions and therefore driving the economic growth in the country. So I think uh, going forward, uh, India has a chance to come out of this very, very rapidly. I want to pick your brains on China and there are a couple of uh, questions also uh, from the audience on the Indo-Chinese Indo uh, trade and relationships uh, post-COVID. And there's a lot of uh, negative sentiment also against China in terms of uh, different countries wanting to take some punitive action against China on this whole incident. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that India uh, is, uh, is geopolitically, uh, you know, concerned is the, you know, the one uh, belt, uh, uh, one road initiative that China has been trying to kind of work to dominate uh, the trade lanes and the sea, uh, sea ports across uh, the region. 
uh, how do you think uh, post covid india should play this and kind of uh, you know neutralize that chinese threat well india has a very good chance to uh, uh, to uh, meet china at its own level in the sense that india is a big country it's got uh, about the population of china maybe even more and so uh, they uh, in the, the indian government is in a very good position to uh, negotiate with china and to reach some agreement as regards to uh, the spread of uh, chinese bases around the world and around asia and so i think there's an opportunity there for some understanding and some cooperation uh, in addition i believe that many uh, Chinese manufacturers would like, actually like to move to India to manufacture, and you're already seeing that. Uh, so there's another area where there can be cooperation between the two countries. So I think uh, uh, one of the characteristics of Indian foreign policy in the past has been um, uh, lots of independence. In other words, uh, the Indian government did not really kowtow uh, to the UK, or to the U.S. or any other country, really, they they drove an independent path, and I think that uh, could yield good results in their relationships with China. Do you think that uh, 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 the current U.S.-China relationships and the standoff that are there, or are kind of brewing? Um, post-elections of the U.S. president, would that kind of come down or de-escalate? And how would India kind of uh, play that uh, uh, in, 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 the, in the context of, you know, moving forward in the global economy? Well, uh, there's, uh, the conflicts between the U.S. and China are not going to go away soon. There are just too many areas of friction. And um, what President Trump has done is brought these to the fore. In other words, these uh, points of friction were there, but no president really dared to talk about them and take some action. And uh, Trump has done that, and that has resulted in other countries beginning uh, to question their relationships with China, which is probably a good thing because then the Chinese will now wake up and realize they've got to be having reciprocity with other countries and not not only in trade, but in every other direction. So uh, I think uh, this development of China-US relations has been positive. It's going to be good for India because it'll enable India to really drive an independent path and uh, work with China because the Chinese, I think, now believe they've got to build better relationships around the world. Uh, if the relationship with the US is not doing well, they better do better with other countries, including India. Well, we are seeing some uh, border skirmishes and incursions as well between China and India. So that also spooked the market uh, a couple of days back. Uh, so we're not really sure. Uh, and there's always uh, uh, an uncertainty between uh, India and China, uh, which goes back to our wars uh, that we have fought between China and India. So yeah, um, I think this, that will continue for a long time to come. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I'm an investor in, in, in healthcare, and you know, uh, one of the things uh, that uh, we are seeing is uh, asset prices and asset bubbles 
that would probably emerge uh, both in India and the emerging market per se, uh, given that uh, the whole uh, you know model of healthcare delivery today would probably you know <clears throat> break down into small formats uh, with isolation and other things. Uh, which obviously is good for India because given that uh, the current uh, uh, demographic of healthcare demand and supply where India is and the number of uh, dollars that the, uh, or the rupees that uh, Indian government has uh, committed to the Aishman Bharat and, and whatever uh, other uh, schemes that have been announced now recently. Uh, the the perception of investment managers like us and the operators has been that um, this just cannot be bridged. And uh, although there is foreign interest in participating in this, uh, you know, revival process, um, there is always that uh, feeling that it may take a bit longer because there is a gestational investment period by which time uh, the whole opportunity may be lost. What's your feel about the same issues in other emerging markets? Well, I think, uh, uh, yes, there is always a, a fear that you're going to miss out on opportunities. But uh, this is the reason why a crisis like this is so uh, beneficial in many ways, because it enables countries to sit back and say, wait a minute, uh, we now have this crisis. How do we get out of it? And what changes do we have to make going forward? So I think you're going to see more and more of that thinking uh, in the future, particularly now with high unemployment. Uh, I've been advocating that countries uh, begin massive employment programs for infrastructure, building roads, bridges, railways, et cetera, to put people back to work because this COVID crisis is going to result in many job losses permanently. Many companies are going bust and they will be letting people go permanently. So it's going to be very important for the government in conjunction with the private sector to institute large, massive uh, programs, public works programs. Uh, our government uh, has uh, also issued the final uh, report of the National Infrastructure Plan for 2025 uh, as well. And uh, part of that uh, investment is also been kind of dovetailed into the recent uh, COVID package of uh, 20 lakh crores uh, Indian rupees. Uh, do you think uh, that would be enough for uh, the infrastructure sector to revive? There is already the pain of the past in terms of all the other financial crises that, that, that have been um, uh, going on and that have weakened the balance sheet of several banks and financial institutions. Uh, how do you think India on a structural uh, and a systemic basis could emerge out uh, using this opportunity that has presented in front of it? Well, I think they can emerge from this uh, by doing a few things. The first thing is they've got to uh, draw up a, a countrywide program, a program that touches all the states in the country and a program that's a very, very detailed and clear as to what you want to achieve not two years from now, not five years from now, but 10 or 20 years from now in terms of infrastructure. And then each one of these components, whether it be bridges, roads, railroads, airports, whatever, uh, should then be uh, 
examined carefully and given to uh, joint ventures with the government. In other words, we've got to draw in the private sector and not only Indian private sector, but global private sector. Companies in the world who are interested in uh, investing in such projects, along with the government, inside of the government. Now, this is where the multilateral institutions will come in because the IMF, the World Bank, uh, the IFC can come in and assist this process and help uh, guarantee, in other words, reduce the risks to the foreign investors in terms of uh, license changes and that sort of thing, changes in government. So uh, uh, I think that kind of program could be very beneficial. And what are the other uh, uh, risks? Because there is a risk, uh, country risk also at this point in time, given the overall balance sheet of India, uh, that it may kind of get uh, downgraded uh, by the global rating agencies. And uh, how do you see that risk, uh, you know, looming on large on India per se? And is this uh, going to be a similar risk the other emerging market countries will also face? And, and what will happen? Because that would definitely make things uh, uh, and the industries uh, cost of borrowing and their balance sheets uh, going a bit more weaker uh, uh, and the and the bounce back process uh, getting much more painful. Uh, well, that's always a risk. In other words, you have the country risk. That's always uh, uh, that investors have to face. Uh, so they have to make judgments as to whether a country is viable or not. But the good news is that interest rates in the West have gone down to very, very, very low levels. This provides an opportunity for even countries that have very low uh, rankings by Moody's or S&Ps and so forth. That gives them an opportunity to actually raise money at relatively low rates uh, because there are investors out there who are willing to take that risk. Uh, so that's why I advocate that India embark on such programs uh, to issue debt, uh, not only domestically, but internationally, uh, but tied to the individual infrastructure projects. So for example, uh, you want to build a bridge. Okay, we raise $500 million or a billion dollars for the bridge. The bridge will be a toll bridge and the investors in the bonds of the bridge will be guaranteed income from the tolls. Of course, they've got to take a risk that the tolls may not be very much, but they've got to be guaranteed that whatever it is, they will get a given percentage. This way, the bonds can be paid off over time, and eventually, of course, the bridge will revert to the ownership of the government. So this is the kind of project that uh, can be duplicated in many states all over India and in many different areas. One quick question uh, on the resetting of the growth rates. Uh, there has been uh, uh, the World Bank uh, projections uh, about, you know, different countries and uh, uh, amongst the countries that would probably have a positive growth rate is India. Uh, as per uh, 
the World Bank, uh, and uh, we are also going to have the World Bank chief economist also talk to uh, the audience uh, in one of the sessions later on. Um, what's your view? Do you think uh, India is strong enough to be able to bounce back and uh, come back with a much stronger growth rate uh, in terms of uh, the what the world bank has projected uh, and uh, and what's your view on that yeah i think the india can bounce back very very quickly i know a lot of the projections are that the indian economy will shrink by as much as 5% this year and uh, will uh, not have any growth in 2022 um, but i don't think uh, that's the case. I think India will, you know, bounce back very quickly by the end of this year. And uh, next year, 2021, will be a good growth year uh, for India. You must remember that when you're comparing growth rates from one year to the other, uh, the denominator is just as important as the numerator. So the same oil example, value. Yeah, for example, let's say this year you have a negative rate. Right. Well, you only have to grow by one or two percent next year to get a six percent growth rate. You know what I mean? So uh, a lot of uh, economists, I think, forget that fact that very often uh, you can you don't need much growth to show a big, big difference between what happened the previous year. How to enable is our five billion, uh, five trillion economy uh, goal that uh, that our Prime Minister Modi uh, has has put forward for us? Do you think it's achievable by 2025, or I think it's 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 kind of much beyond now, in terms of timeline? I think they're achievable, no question about that. In fact, I would say that maybe his uh, ambitions are too modest. I think India can do a lot better than that. Uh, with the right policies in place, uh, because you must remember, you know, a lot of people think of India as a, a relatively poor country, but it's not. It's a very rich country. There's lots of money under the mattress in India. <laughs> Indians have lots of savings that they could put to work for, for the country. Right. I want to just uh, change track because there are a couple of uh, investment managers and asset managers in our audience. There are a couple of uh, very uh, couple of interesting uh, points of view and questions that they have, and uh, I would love to kind of ask a few uh, questions from their point of view. Uh, first question is a very generic one. Um, uh, You've been obviously successful and you've seen uh, such a downturns. In, uh, many of our investment managers would love to know what's your message to them? Uh, how should they manage the investors money and hold on to their promises of the returns and in the process as well uh, do good uh, in, in becoming a, a better investment manager given the current uh, uh, yeah, chain of events that have occurred. Well, the first piece of advice I would say to them is to be optimistic. Uh, the world belongs to optimists, not pessimists, particularly if you think of investing in the stock market. Stock markets uh, have more bull periods than bear. The bear markets are very short in duration. The bull markets are long 
and must remember, a lot of people forget this, they, they measure a bear market from the peak of the previous bull market to the next peak. That's not the bear market time. The bear market ends at the bottom of, this, of the index, if you know what I mean. So it's very important for you to be optimistic because this bear period is very short in duration and the bull market will last much, much longer, number one. Number two, uh, you have to also remember that fiat currencies, in other words, currencies that are created by banks and by governments and by people are growing at a very rapid rate. Uh, therefore, you have to be in uh, equities. You have to be in stocks. Why? Because companies are able to adjust the price in these fiat currencies uh, to the change in the value of these currencies. So you escape uh, the trap that many fixed income investors get is when they are investing in a fixed income instrument, <clears throat> they forget that the currency that they get in five or six years is going to be not worth what the currency was when you started. And by the way, I include US dollar there as well. The US dollar constantly is being uh, depreciated. So uh, given these two facts, uh, it's very important for you to be invested. And particularly at a time like this, when people are uh, pessimistic, uh, now is the time to be buying stocks. That's an interesting question uh, I want to take from the audience here. Uh, I don't have his name. What, are, what strategies can Indian asset managers learn from the world, especially their counterparts in other emerging markets, in order to respond to the crisis? Well, the first thing, of course, is to uh, be ready to go in when things look bad, when people are selling, when people are pessimistic. Uh, that's number one. <clears throat> number two, uh, of course, what you're investing in uh, specifically is very, very important in terms of uh, you evaluating uh, the companies on a very specific level. For example, uh, does the company have a strong balance sheet? Uh, are the earnings of the company on a per share basis moving up? And are they expected to continue to move up? Number three, uh, how about the dividends? Is the company paying dividends? Are they treating shareholders properly in that respect? And number four, uh, what is the nature of the ownership and management? Uh, is the ownership and management honest? Are they uh, ethical people? Do they observe good corporate governance, good environmental and good social policies? These are all very critical questions you have to ask. Uh, one another interesting question uh, from the audience is going forward, do you see a risk of an increase in LP defaults? Increase of what? Uh, increase in LP defaults, limited partner defaults. Oh, defaults. Yeah. Oh, yes, there's going to be many bankruptcies uh, as a result of this crisis. Uh, many companies will default. Uh, many companies will bankrupt. Uh, so, yes, there's no question about that. Um, and you have to be ready for it. Now, again, that provides an opportunity because those companies with strong balance sheets will be able to make acquisitions 
at low cost, low cost acquisitions, which would be very beneficial. Uh, one quick question, since uh, you know we have been exchanging a lot of ideas, and I used to run the uh, an algo-based uh, hedge uh, uh, fund, uh, which obviously we have divested. But uh, you know, uh, moving forward, what we saw in the algorithm, a negative oil trade was never ever even imagined by the people on the algo and the on those sites. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think uh, it's now back from uh, the machines to the humans and uh, people like you and people like uh, Warren Buffet and the old school way of investment is going to come back uh, because a lot of people have lost their pants uh, running these algos. They never imagined. And a lot of the prime brokers in the process, their systems were never able to handle this sort of negative trade or a value in the negative trade beyond zero. Uh, what's your point of view? Yeah, this is very uh, interesting question. Uh, you must remember that algorithms are based on people's behavior. In other words, uh, when people write the algorithms, first of all, humans are writing the algorithm, algorithm not, a, not a machine. And secondly, uh, the algorithm um, uh, formulas are based on past experience. So, you know, the belief that the past is prologue is, is a fairly sound one. But as you know, Mr. Taleb says there's always a black swan. There's always something unexpected. And you've just got to be ready for that. You've got to be ready for that unexpected event. So, for example, uh, if you're running a hedge fund and you have an algorithm uh, for oil prices, uh, you've got to include in that algorithm the possibility of it going into something completely unexpected, either too high or in negative territory. Uh, and then once you've done that calculation, you've got to uh, reserve enough cash to overcome this downturn. So that's the reason why it's very, very important to think of the uh, unexpected event taking place. Well, uh, as I understand, a uh, lot of the people uh, play on leverage as well and forwards uh, on the margin. Uh, and in an event like this, uh, definitely nobody had anticipated or nobody had uh, even thought of uh, that it could do uh, to an asset class in a single day. And I'm sure uh, uh, those losses have also eroded into a uh, lot of LP defaults into funds and, and a return of uh, capital. How do you think uh, funds, because uh, you have been, you have been uh, seeing this sort of downturns, how do you think they would bounce back or it's, it's a complete bankruptcy that the fund is, has to close? Well, you know, assuming that uh, a fund has uh, done their homework and picked stocks that are, are sound, good balance sheets and good prospects for earnings, uh, the best thing for them to do is just hang on. Uh, don't sell and wait for the recovery. The recovery will come. And we're already seeing it. Uh, you know, we've seen the, somewhat of a recovery in many markets around the world. So uh, the best policy is not to sell, uh, which very often many people panic. Um, they think, oh God, We've got to sell. Uh, no, you should be actually buying, not selling. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's the time to buy now. Go yes, long. I would say so. Yeah. Right. Uh, moving back uh, to India and uh, India in the in the in the in the emerging market context, there are a few questions uh, uh, from the audience side which I want to pick up. Um, uh, where do you think uh, the sectors in the emerging markets? Where would you think India would do better? and which countries or which emerging markets would do better than India in what sectors? That's a question uh, 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 from an audience here. Um, when we look at countries around the world, uh, usually we like to go to those countries where uh, things look the worst, <laughs> where, where the outlook is not very good, or at least where people think the outlook is not good. So. Uh, India falls into that category to some extent, as you know. Many people are pessimistic about India. South Africa would be another example. Brazil would be another example. Um, uh, some countries in Southeast Asia, like Indonesia. So uh, there are a number of countries where you see opportunity. But we find that uh, trying to pick a country is not the right strategy. Uh, the best thing you can do is look for companies in these right. countries that are going to look good, outperform. Of course, assuming all of the macroeconomic factors are in place as well. So for example, uh, you can have a country like South Africa, which has been downgraded by the rating agencies. They're in junk bond territory, but there are some very good companies that will continue to do very well and earn good money in dollar terms. So that's uh, one thing you've got to be careful about not to uh, uh, to restrict yourself, let's put it that way. Uh, as regards to sectors, uh, very important that you pay attention to the technology. Now by that, I don't mean you buy a technology company, which is fine if it's cheap and, and with good balance sheet and so forth, but you buy companies in traditional industries who are transforming themselves with technology. So for example, if you have a retail company uh, mostly doing offline sales, in other words in stores, if they're developing an online presence, that could be a very, very good development. So more of a digital transformation of, uh, uh, you know, traditional uh, uh, industries uh, to more technology is what uh, you mentioned earlier and and you seem to uh, echo that back again. Exactly. Um, what's your point of view uh, of the non-banking financial services sector across emerging markets, given that uh, there is a, a banking bank uh, limitations of the banks to fund growth to the to the companies and uh, the non-banking financial services uh, could become the next, uh, you know, provider of funds for growth. Uh, to as banks uh, are no, are able, are not able to increase their lending, how, how do you think uh, this sector would kind of emerge in the emerging markets? Well, as you know, there are a lot of non-bank uh, financial institutions in India and other parts of the world. 
Uh, many of them are in deep trouble now because they depended upon short-term finance uh, from banks and other sources, but were lending long. So they're, you know, they're in trouble. So uh, when looking at that non-bank financial area, you've got to look at the uh, the structure of their balance sheet. In other words, uh, do they have enough long-term financing? And uh, what is the short side? In other words, what, what do their loan book look like and how short is it in relationship to their funding? So uh, there will definitely be a role for these companies, but you've got to be very, very cautious uh, in looking at them uh, in terms of their strength, balance sheet strength. Uh, uh, we are coming towards the end of uh, our session, and I want to uh, ask uh, Mark your pick list, uh, your top five countries and your top five sectors uh, <laughs> in your emerging markets. That's what well, everybody wants to, to know. Look, if, you, if you look at our portfolio, you'll see the top uh, countries are uh, China, India, uh, Turkey, uh, Brazil, South Africa, uh, Korea. Uh, and then in terms of sectors, uh, top sectors are um, medical. In other words, uh, that includes pharmaceuticals, includes uh, uh, hospitals, that sort of thing. Uh, education, uh, internet related companies, and uh, manufacturing related to infrastructure. Uh, Mark, uh, we've almost come to an end. Uh, I really love to uh, thank you for your time. Before that, I also need to acknowledge the team that has worked in putting this whole format together. Uh, my partner Tapan Bhatt, uh, Jangir uh, Abdullah from Unuligo, uh, and all the other team members and partners to make this possible. And I really appreciate it's in Hong Kong. It's uh, late in the night uh, for you as well, but taking time out to talk to us and give uh, your thoughts and uh, increasing the aspiration and uh, the belief that uh, the industry can turn around and I obviously uh, many more stock picks uh, to you in the future as well. Thank you very Thank much. You Actually, so much I'm, Mark. Now, I'm now in Germany. I'm in Munich. Oh, okay. So it's, okay. uh, now it's just going on five o'clock. So we're OK. okay. Oh, OK. I so thought you, uh, you were you're in Hong Kong. So uh, I was uh, under the impression that you're in a different time zone. But really appreciate Mark uh, for your time and giving your 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 thoughts and views uh, on on uh, the bounce back. And I hope the audience has uh, taken away uh, the key points here uh, uh, in terms of uh, where India needs to bounce back and how India needs to bounce back and your views on that. Uh, thanks so much, Mark, for your Thank time you. uh, today. Right. Stay safe.